Hi, good morning. Welcome to Zion on this 22nd Sunday after Pentecost. Uh, before we begin our worship, first I want to start with the clipboard. Uh, I'm going to pass this around during the service here, and if you are able and willing to be a reader, communion assistant for 2022, please add your name. Uh, this is your opportunity to be generous with your gifts to the congregation, so please consider it as this comes around. Well, if you're interested in Altar Guild, yeah, see Barb or write your name on the paper. We would contact you immediately, I'm sure. Um, yeah, a few things. Uh, decorations for Harvest Home are going to go down after the service today. So if you brought something that you would like to keep, uh, please take it with you so it doesn't get, doesn't get lost or thrown away. Also, newsletter articles are due today, so if you have something for the newsletter, let Rose or Mary know so they can make sure that it gets in there. Uh, one prayer request. Uh, so Donna Mackey has decided to enter into hospice care um, at this time. So right now, they are at Lima Memorial on the hospice floor in room 2018 South. So please keep her in your prayers. Uh, and Steve and their children and grandchildren you know, as they, they walk on this journey in the coming weeks and months together. Are there other prayer requests, other concerns for the congregation? Yeah, Marcia. That Rory and Kylie? Goble. Okay. Okay. Any other requests? All right. If not, I'll invite you to take a few moments to quiet your hearts and minds and listen to the prelude as we prepare to worship.
congregation, I invite you to stand. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid, cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Let us confess our sin in the presence of God and of one another. Most merciful God, we confess that we are captive to sin and cannot free ourselves. We have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. For the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us, forgive us, renew us, and lead us so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Amen. In the mercy of Almighty God, Jesus Christ was given to die for you. And for his sake, God forgives you all your sins. To those who believe in Jesus Christ, he gives the power to become the children of God and bestows on them the Holy Spirit. Amen.
grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. And also with you. In peace, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace from above and for our salvation, let us pray to the Lord. For the peace of the whole world, for the well-being of the Church of God, and for the unity of all, let us pray to the Lord. For this holy house, and for all who offer here their worship and praise, let us pray to the Lord. Help, save, comfort, and defend us, gracious Lord. Glory to God in the highest and peace to God's people on earth. Eternal light, shine in our hearts. Eternal wisdom, scatter the darkness of our ignorance. Eternal compassion, have mercy on us. Turn us to seek your face and enable us to reflect your goodness. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen. The first reading is a reading from Jeremiah. Thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, Save, O Lord, your people, the remnant of Israel. See, I am going to bring them from the land of the north and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, those with child and those in labor together, a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with consolations I will lead them back. I will let them walk by brooks of water, in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I have become a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. The psalm today is Psalm 126. When the Lord restored fortunes of Zion, then were we like those who dream. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad indeed. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the fortunes of the 
Those who sowed with tears will reap with songs of joy. The second reading is a reading from Hebrews. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office, but he holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able for old time to save those who approach God through him, since he always lives to make intersection for them. For it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, blameless, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he has no need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for those of the people. This he did once for all when he offered himself. For the law appoints as high priests those who are subject to weakness, but the word of the oath, which come later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. Reading of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark. As Jesus and his disciples and a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the roadside. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many sternly ordered him to be quiet, but he cried out even more loudly, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stood still and said, Call him here. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he is calling you. So throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, My teacher, let me see again. Jesus said to him, Go, your faith has made you well. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the way. The Gospel of our Lord. I invite you to be seated, and children, I invite you to come up. Have you ever played the game of telephone? Right? Do you all know how to play? Yes, Scarlett, come on up. All right. So this is perfect because you guys are sitting in a line already. So the way this works is I'm going to whisper something in Clementine's ear. She's going to whisper to Magdalene, Magdalene to Silas, Silas to Alice, to Sydney, to Scarlett. Okay? And then Scarlett, you got to tell us what Sydney says to you, okay? All right, let's see if it works. What does he say to you? Did you hear anything? Yeah, what did she say? What message did she say? Purple. That's all you got, kind of purple? Sydney, what did you hear? Purple element. Purple element? element? Let's see where it got confused along the way. Clementine, what did I say to you? 
Purple elephant. All right. Magdalene, is that what you heard? Purple elephant? Silas? <laughs> and Alice heard virtual element. So Silas is to blame, I think, somehow. That's, that's our missing link. Right? That's the way things go when you play this game, right? You start off with one message. Others hear it in a different way, and it gets turned into something else. Well, our second reading today from the book of Hebrews, it tells us something really remarkable. It tells us that when we pray, our prayers go straight to Jesus. Right? When we pray, it doesn't go from one person to another. We don't need to bring our prayers to a pastor, to a priest, to someone special. Right? We take our prayers directly to Jesus. Right? And so because we can go directly to Jesus, our message doesn't get jumbled along the way. Right? He hears our prayers just as they are. And the book of Hebrews tells us that because Jesus is a son of God, but also he was fully a human, he understands exactly what we're praying for. Right? He's not just a God who's distant, far away out there. Rather, he knows what it is to be a human. He knows what it is to be a child. He knows what it is to be a student. He knows what it is to grow up. Jesus knows your hearts. He knows your minds, and he understands your prayers. And so very much that's the gift of prayer, right? When we ask Jesus for something or thank him for something or tell him our worries or our thoughts, he understands us. So that should encourage us to pray, right? Because he knows what's in our heart. It doesn't get jumbled up along the way. We don't start with purple elephant and go to virtual element, right? He knows exactly what it is we need when we pray. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for hearing us. And help us, Lord, always to pray. Knowing that you hear us. Amen. Thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we know the city of Jericho, of course, from the story of Joshua. Right When the walls came tumbling down, the Israelites took the city on their journey to the promised land. But in the Old Testament, Jericho was a symbol for sin. It was the city of sin. It was the city that collapsed when it was surrounded by God's word. It was the city that collapsed when the people of God shouted around its walls. By Jesus' day, though, Jericho still had a reputation. It still kind of had a reputation as a city of sin. But in Jericho, in Jesus' day, there stood a large palace complex that was actually three palaces. And it was perhaps the most luxurious spot in that region. It was used by Herod the Great, and then later his son, as a winter house. It was basically a vacation spot for royalty. In fact, archaeologists have uncovered a good deal of this palace and its surroundings. So in the time just before Herod, architects from Rome came and they designed this palace resort. It had marble floors and columns. There were elaborate Roman-style bathhouses. There were elegant gardens. There was an enormous dining room, something like a ballroom, and it had unique and original frescoes on the wall. 
just outside of the palace, there was a swimming pool, almost the size of a modern Olympic regulation pool. And so society's elite at that time, they spent time in Jericho. It was something like Martha's Vineyard of the day. Roman diplomats, royal family, soldiers, the wealthy, they would have been seen coming in and out of the city. And so Jericho stood on a hill as a city of opulence. Well, our gospel this morning tells us nothing of Jesus' time in Jericho. In fact, it reads in context like Jesus looks around for a second and decides to leave right away. Verse 46 actually says they came to Jericho, and then as they were leaving Jericho, right, there's very little interest in the luxury of the city. And that shouldn't surprise us. Jesus spends very little time in any socially important city in the Gospels. Right? Jesus spends most of his time out in the country among the poor folk. In the same way, this, this morning, our story focuses on the blind beggar who sat outside the city on the road begging from the wealthy who would have been passing by. And ironically, we're told that the beggar's name is Bartimaeus. Right? And, and there are very few instances in which we're told someone's name in the Gospels when they're healed. But Bartimaeus is an exception. And Bartimaeus is a name, it's a smashed-together name, an Aramaic and Greek name, that means son of honor. And so we should get the tone of the story right away from the start. Because Mark is telling us that the son of honor is not sitting up there in that beautiful palace, but rather he's begging on the road outside of the city. And so as the son of honor, we should also see Bartimaeus as a kind of son of courage. Because right outside the city of Herod's palace, he begins to yell that Jesus of Nazareth is the son of David. The implication, of course, is that if Jesus is the son of David, then Jesus is the true king. And if Jesus is the true king, then Herod is not. Now, the Herod who reigned during Jesus' ministry was Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. And we know from the Gospel of Matthew that Herod the Great was paranoid about the coming of a Messiah. He was so paranoid that he had babies slaughtered when the Magi came to find the newborn Christ. And so to stand outside of Jericho and to call Jesus the son of David was a risky thing to do. In fact, this is why those around him were telling Bartimaeus to be quiet. They thought Bartimaeus was going to get them all in trouble. If one of the elites or one of the diplomats passed by on their way to the palace resort and heard this kind of talk, they could have easily told Herod what was going on. Herod, who had cut off John the Baptist's head, might just do the same to all of them. Herod might just imprison all of them who were gathering around Jesus. He might come to believe that they're all a threat, that they're trying to start an uprising against him. And in fact, this was a social reality that many of them were familiar with. There were a number of failed messiahs in that time period. There were a number of leaders who tried to lead a revolt, to establish a new kind of kingdom, and inevitably, they were all found out and they were all killed. And so we don't want to miss that even in the big picture of the Gospel of Mark, this is the final story before Jesus enters Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. At that point, the crowds will all begin to hail Jesus as king. They will all begin to shout Hosanna 
and believe that the king has come to make all of their hopes come true. But in a few days' time after that Palm Sunday, the elite in Jerusalem will do exactly what the crowd who tried to hush Bartimaeus were afraid of. They will arrest Jesus, crucify him, and scatter his followers. And so at this point, Bartimaeus knows that he has nothing to lose. But he has everything to gain by putting his trust in Jesus. Herod could, in fact, take his life. But when you're a blind beggar sitting on the road at the mercy of others, you have little comfort in this life anyway. Herod and the elite of Jericho might throw him a few pennies while he lies in poverty on the road. But Jesus, as the true king, can change everything for him. Bartimaeus isn't scared that he might offend some politicians. Mark tells us even that Bartimaeus throws away his cloak when Jesus calls him. So it's believed that beggars would spread out their cloaks in front of them so passerbys could toss their coins, their alms, out them without actually, without actually having to look at them or touch them. But they could just throw, throw their money on the cloaks. And so when Bartimaeus throws, by, throws his cloak by the way, he's giving away his only means to support himself. Right? Whatever means he had to support himself were tied up in that cloak. But he can toss it aside. And he can toss it aside because he trusts that Jesus is, in fact, the son of David. And if Jesus is the son of David, then there's something greater in store for him. Something greater than just pennies tossed at him by the rich heading into the city. And of course, Bartimaeus was correct. Jesus saved him. Jesus opened his eyes. And Bartimaeus, in return, does not go back up and pick up his cloak and whatever coins were in it. Rather, he follows Jesus on the way. He knows there will never be a greater opportunity in this lifetime than to follow the son of David, to follow the true king of the world. And Bartimaeus' faith comes to him when he seizes that opportunity to follow Christ, because he knew that the world had nothing real to offer him. And so this is the truth to us this morning. True faith comes when we know that we have nothing to lose in this world and that we have everything to gain by following Christ. Bartimaeus was not scared of what politicians might do to him. He was not scared to speak the truth that he believed Jesus of Nazareth was king. He had nothing they could take away. And the one possession he had, he was willing to throw away because he knew Jesus was more. And we see the contrast of the attitude of Bartimaeus with the rich man we heard about in Mark 10 a couple weeks ago. Jesus told that rich man he lacked one thing and invited him to give what he had to the poor and to follow Jesus on the way. The rich man walked away sad. He was unwilling to let go of his possessions. They meant too much to him. Bartimaeus, however, was attached to nothing in this world. He just wanted to be close to the king. He wanted to follow Jesus joyfully. In order for us, like Bartimaeus, to be in a place to follow Jesus joyfully, we first have to come to a place where we understand that we're blind beggars in this world. When we come to that point, then we begin to know what it really means to trust Jesus. To come to this point is to recognize that in this world, there's nothing of permanence to hold on to. Your money, your house, your car, your clothes, your job title, your reputation, 
It's all fleeting. Everything that is good and stable in this world only comes to us by the hand of God. And if we begin to think the things of this world by themselves can give us value or can save us, we begin to make idols of them. Next week, we'll celebrate Reformation Day. And I believe that the Reformation was about this very same issue. Thinking about Luther's 95 Thesis in particular, what was Luther's real problem with the Catholic teaching on indulgences? Right, the Catholic Church at the time was selling slips of paper that declared your punishment in purgatory would be reduced because you bought a piece of paper and gave money to the church. Luther would argue that such a thing was not in the Bible or in church tradition, but Luther's real problem with indulgences was that they led to idolatry. People placed their hope in their own ability to pay for these slips of paper. People put their hope into what the Pope said to save them. And this was all wrong according to Luther. The only true object of your hope to be saved is Christ. It is only Christ, the Son of God, who became man who can save you. And this is what we see in Bartimaeus. The man who could not see, the man who had nothing, placed his hope in Christ and nowhere else. Not in the politicians that were passing by into Jericho, but in the man from Nazareth who had no interest in the wealth of Jericho. He put his hope in the son of David because he knew it was only Christ who could save him. And so it, so it is with us. Only Christ can save us. The person living in the White House, the elected leaders at our capital, our bishops, our pastors, our family, our friends, none of these people can save us. Nor can we even save ourselves. Like Bartimaeus, we're blind. We're beggars on the way. Spiritually, we're helpless. We need Christ to save us. Again, as Luther says in a catechism, I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but that the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel. We cannot save ourselves, nor can anyone in this world save us, so we must turn to Christ. We must seek mercy from him. And we must turn to him knowing that we have nothing to lose because this world has nothing eternal for us. Left to our own devices, we will self-destruct with selfishness and vanity, because all of us without Christ are blinded by sin. Without Christ, we will sit outside the world's empty promises, and all we can hope for is whatever pennies are tossed our way. With Christ, however, we are saved. With Christ, we are given eyes to see the world as it really is. We're given not the empty promises of this world, but we're given true life with the king. And so when we be begin to beg for the mercy of the true king, rather than to beg for the scraps of this world, we become like Bartimaeus. We become a son of honor. And it's in following Christ that we are given honor. Amen.
And now let us stand together and confess our faith using the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let us pray for the whole people of God in Christ Jesus and for all people according to their needs. Hear our cries and be attentive to the voice of our pleas, O Lord, for the sake of Jesus Christ, the Son of David, Lord, in your mercy. Send laborers into your harvest, Lord, and preachers to gather your elect from the farthest parts of the earth. Sustain all pastors and missionaries faithful in their callings, and bless our schools and teachers, our congregations, and their servants. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, you have appointed us as priests in your kingdom, not to offer dead works out of our own weakness, but to offer prayers and living sacrifices made holy, innocent, and unstained by the once-for-all service of Christ our High Priest. Make every Christian household constant in prayer and good works, since our Savior always lives to make intercession for us. Lord, in your mercy. Give us the strength and courage to speak your word of gospel to the poor, the prisoner, the sick, and the outcast. Help us to remain steadfast in our faith wherever we are rejected for proclaiming this good news. And be present with those who suffer persecution for following you, especially your servants in Nigeria, China, India, Iran, Haiti, Pakistan. Lord, in your mercy. Strike down the haughty, O Lord of hosts, and every hostile voice that would rebuke the voice of faith with its cries and prayers. Uphold the protection of our nation and its leaders, especially Joseph, our president, and Richard Michael, our governor. Keep them in honest service for the good of your people, especially that the gospel may be preached and heard without hindrance. Lord, in your mercy. O Lord, save your people and be a father to them. Give courage to the hearts of all who cry for your mercy, especially Kara and Tony, Nancy, Maddox, Tom, Troy, Donald, Donna, Ray, Nancy, Dwight, John, Marilyn, Rose, Tony, and Carolyn, and Carolyn. Give them steadfast faith and be pleased to grant them recovery that they may follow you now and into everlasting life. Lord, in your mercy. We commend to your mercy all who have died in the faith that your will for them may be fulfilled and they may be given eyes to see you face to face. And we pray that we may share with all your saints in your eternal kingdom. Lord, in your mercy. And to your hands, O Lord, we commend all for whom we pray, trusting in your mercy through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
Amen. And now the peace of the Lord be with you always. I invite you to greet one another with signs of Christ's peace. Merciful Father, we offer with joy and thanksgiving what you have first given us, ourselves, our time, and our possessions, signs of your gracious love. Receive them for the sake of him who offered himself for us, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And now gathered into one by the Holy Spirit, let us pray as our Lord taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, I will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. And now, Almighty God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, bless you now and forever. Amen.
peace. Serve the Lord. <laughs>